All right. We are back. This is R.J. Bell's dream preview. Minus R.J. Bell this week. So our, I'm disappointed because you're gone next week. By the way, Steve Fezzik is here with me. I'm A.J. Hoffman. Scott Seidenberg. That name just rolls off the tongue. Hey, boys. To the right. And I'm disappointed because I was all excited about the uh, the draft, the quarterback draft. I don't know about you guys. I've been prepping all week. No I've- prep? WNBA and CFL. Yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. I'm going to dominate. The, I'm going to dominate this draft. I can't wait. But you're gone next week. I am. Where are you going? Southern California. What are you going to be doing out there? Laguna Beach. Nice. Yeah. Must uh, life's hard. Mm-hmm. Life's hard. You no, got, was you, is Hawaii closed down? Or you got you got to get it out of the way. If you're a professional gambler, this is very important. Like, so I'm down like during the MLB All Star break for instance that's the mm-hmm. best the best possible time but once the nba is wrapping up mm-hmm. it's like you got 2 months from the middle of june until the middle of august to get all your vacation in. but what about uh, do you don't take off once september comes you can't take off during nfl season no. so you well, so the, 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 you get you get you get 23 24 weeks of, of nfl where you absolutely can't take a week off but wnba cfl off. these are things you're killing you what? can't work 24/7 okay yeah all right yeah, I'm taking my vacation final week of July so I can come back ready for preseason NFL and get ready. That's when I'm taking my second. Your, your second vacation? Two. Yes. I mean, look, look, guys like Fezzik get two. No, but then I'll you be had a spring break one, too. But then, <laughs> no, no, there's no spring break. Then I'll, I'll be available from, you know, August 10th until, you know, what? Didn't April you go to 1st? Northern California a couple weeks ago? Yeah. But Del Mar? That was, that was, that was, I don't do Del Mar. And Del Mar is like in. Wait, Delmar, no, where, where Delmar's in San Diego. No, you're right. Where did you go in, in uh, California? Though? No, we just went to Monterey. Monterey, yeah. that's right. Okay. Mm. So you go to Northern Carmel. California. Carmel, that's what I was thinking of. Family Northern trip. California. That's a family trip, yes. Oh, so your family's not going on this trip? No, that was to go. That was just a short trip. But to, this trip to, to Southern California. This is a real vacation. Your family's going, though, right? Yeah. yeah. So what do you? what's the difference between a family trip and then a trip where your family goes with you? It sounds, sounds the same Because a family trip relatives. is family activities. You're visiting relatives. A trip where the family uh, comes with you is, you know. And then the, the trip at the end of July, is that a family trip as well? That's a family vacation. That's a vacation. All right. That so, one's we're going to the Bahamas. So. Oh. Uh, Atlantis? Yes. There you go. Thank you, Cedars. Good for you. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Fezzik. Mr. Papa Giorgio. Uh, I right. was there uh, before, so... My brother used to work for Club Med, mm-hmm. used to be opposite of Atlantis on Paradise Island. Ah. And then when they closed down, Atlantis took over the whole right? side of the island and made it like their extended beach and all that stuff. I'm always amazed by Atlantis. It's a great property. I remember Club Med. Good times. Mm-hmm. Watuko. <laughs> Wendy from Canada. <laughs> Had a chance. Didn't happen. <laughs> All right. Let's get into things. We it, we are recording this on Tuesday afternoon. It is We are one day removed from the Warriors taking a 3-2 lead. And McKenzie, give us the updated series odds. Warriors minus 370. Take back Celtics plus 300. And what were the odds after Game 3 when the Celtics were up 2-1? Celtics were minus 220. The Warriors were, got it right here, plus 190. So more than ever, the market is saying the series is over. And I know with certainty, at least one of us at this table disagrees with that. 
Two of us. Two of you disagree with that, okay? Yeah, there's, we're very led. I have the Celtics 10 to 1, and they have a 23% chance to win the title. That's the yeah, you know no there? one you Listen, not everyone cares about your old number. That's what we're talking about value right there. Value. They, they, and well, that's let's impressive. Talk current number. You know, the current number, 23%. That is not, 23% is not insignificant. What happens 23% of the time in life, Scott, is an example. The Olympics. Yes, exactly. <laughs> randomly, you want to say, you want to bet like you're going to randomly wake up one day. Will there be an Olympics, a Summer Olympics this year? And it used to actually be 25% until the COVID happened. Then it went now to 23. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but I think leap year is still holding strong at 25%. But that, yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. Scott, you think if I said, you, you said, it sounds like you think there's still value on the Celtics, particularly now, the number that, that McKenzie just gave. Yeah, but I wouldn't play the number. What I would do is just roll over a money line parlay if or take the Celtics with the spread and then Celtics money line in, you know, with your winnings in, in game seven. And what's the, what's the money line for, for game six, McKenzie? It's got to be one is minus one sixty, minus one sixty five. Yeah. Okay. And, and then, then you got to f- assume the same. plus one forty. But yeah. let me add a little Game value. Seven. Let me add a little value here. So all, there's all the the, the the Scott S's out there that are like yeah, broadcasting and talking about how the money line you never bet the money line on the favorite because you just lay it because it's mm-hmm. sixty six and zero or whatever. Okay. And I've noticed that the money lines have shrunk. You're getting the situation where everyone's like, it never matters. I think if you like Boston and you play the money line, God sakes, right now the odds copiers are just using the charts to set the yeah. money line. Wait until post because you're, that money line will shrink. Anyone who's betting Golden State is going to take Golden State on the money line. And then, the, co- and then the comeback on the Warriors, on the Celtics money line goes down. Right. Yeah. You lay one minus 153 well, that, instead of The calculation I gave on the rollover was on the money lines. Yeah. So let's say you risk one unit, you're, you're winning, your profit is 60 bucks, and then you take your 160, 160. and do it on your plus 140 in game seven, you're making more profit than if you just took the Celtics on the series price. And now. that's almost that's usually the case with the mechanical yes. parlay, though. That did not work for us in the NCAA tournament because Kansas got to beat up on a bunch of cupcakes mm. all along the way. Game five, the price was Warriors minus four. Game six, Celtics minus four. We've kind of discussed this on Straight Out of Vegas. Uh, I, I want your thoughts, Steve, and yours, McKenzie, is is this the new normal? Is this what we're going to get going forward in the NBA Finals? Is a four point home court advantage? I don't know. This is really weird. I I have one sharp that it's funny that I speak to and I won't embarrass him because um, he actually said I, I think home court's only worth one and I and I started screaming at him. I'm like, don't ever say that on air. You'll be laughed out of the industry because you know clearly the market thinks it's worth four. Yeah. But the fact that a guy could even say that hmm. and believe it means force too much. And it really should be like 3.3, maybe 3.5. It can't be 4. That's just too much. Mac, what do you think is fair? I think the finals might be a special situation where you get a lot of public money. But in this season, it was the least amount of home court that ever mattered. Only 1.9 difference between home teams and road teams. And you were winning 52% betting every road team. But the playoffs, the finals, I feel like... We got to uh, do a different calculation. And it's funny. I get. I mean, I guess it makes sense because the Celtics have been very mediocre at home this season, but the Warriors are obviously very good at home. Mm-hmm. So, like, when the Warriors are on the road, they're obviously less. So, and so it makes up for the Celtics not being great at, at home this postseason. I, I'm like, every time I've seen it four, 
I'm like, oh, I mean, my initial thought is, oh, they think like before game five, oh, they must think the Celtics are better team. Yeah. Yeah. And then it turns out, then they flip and it's no, it's minus four the other way now. Zigzag doesn't seem to matter also. No. I mean, and game five, well, well, let's talk about game five just a bit. And for, for those of you who are are listening to this a couple days later, game five is the game that the Warriors win by 10 points, despite the fact that Steph Curry uh, makes zero three, zero of nine. What, when's the last time he missed a or 233 a straight games, regular season and postseason with at least one three pointer? That's unbelievable. First of all, like that number is unbelievable. You realize, like, if you just did that, like, every single day, like, we're talking about almost a year, right? Like, you know, like we're yeah. 233 yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's fascinating. But the fact that he doesn't make any. And the Warriors still win and win comfortably. It was a really weird game. At the at the end of most of the games in these finals, you've been able to look at look at the box score and say, "Yep, makes sense." This one's tougher to make sense of because Steph doesn't shoot well. In fact, Steph shoots terribly. The Warriors, as a team, shoot terribly. They don't win the third quarter, which they've been winning every game. The first quarter, no one can score. And yeah, yeah. The first quarter always flies over. Yeah, uh, Boston, who's controlled the first half of these games. Nope, not this time. It was just it was a it was the antithesis of what every other game in the series has been. If you won betting game five, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> I, I mean, that, you might be right, and good for them. Good, good for you if you did win. Uh, so the public, you're saying? <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying. Everyone I talk to, like, like nonstop, and we we brought this upon ourselves. We all have like oh, Mackenzie. What's your NBA playoff record? I predict he's like a sixty-four percent. Sixty-four percent. That's right. Yeah. So you know why? Because sixty like plus percent of the advantage plays, the sharp plays have been winning. Mm-hmm. So everyone's winning. We're all like beating our chest like this is so easy. And the like, well, we everyone I know, we all lost at game five. It doesn't mean all the sharps lost, obviously. I, I mean, I think the public lost too because like especially that third quarter warrior set. That, well, everyone bet the Warriors. Everybody's quarter, on yeah, that. Yeah, like yeah. everybody knows it now. Books cleaned up on that. Yeah. yeah. So like when, when the sharps are betting it, the public's betting it. That, Which was crazy knows- because before the game, Warriors third quarter was actually minus one and a half because this is what everyone was talking about. In game live at the half, Warriors are up 12, Warriors plus two and a half for the third quarter. And everyone that rushed to bet it still lost because the Celtics outscored them by 11. You know, what's amazing, too, is like, you know, God looks out for drunks and bookmakers. It's like everyone (laughs) has gotten this memo except for the bookmakers. All these bookmakers, you know, they're all in the Hall of Fame and they're all having their shrimp cocktails together. And they're going (laughs) they're going to like these fancy schmancy gourmet rooms. And they I'm going to throw them under the bus as well. So I, I was reading about like a bookmaker talking about, oh, the night before the Super Bowl, yeah, I, I went ahead, like we went to like Michael's and like the three-hour dinner and it was fantastic, you know, and the like. And I was like, you know, that shows the difference. It's not their money. They're mm-hmm. not, they, they doesn't, they're not, they're, they think they're working. You're not, memo to the bookmakers, you're not fucking working hard at all. You know, it's the betters they're working hard. We're the ones that are constantly like going through and looking at all these individual props and betting till two in the morning and getting it in good while you're out there, you know, having your your shrimp kebabs and your whatever. Because what happens is the betters make the line. 
Exactly. The they, book they, will the book will throw something out there. They set the openers and they move it and then the immediately. Betters, and then the better set the line. So the betters do it for them. They do the work for them. Well, yes, but 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 I'm I'm saying it's it, it, it's like the bad bookmakers like don't even. It, they, 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 like there's certain this happens with props all the way. It's mm-hmm. a one way train where what happens is you see Gurley's at 80 for rush yards, and then he's at 72, and then he's at 60. It's like oh, they're all going to bet Gurley over. Actually, I think that did actually happen at that Super Bowl, <laughs> but it's a bad example. But you get the point that, yeah. that 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 the memo goes out that Golden State is great in the third quarter, and you think they'd be on top of it. Nope. They just keep setting it based on formula, and well, the bookmakers in the series are one and four mm-hmm. on the, that third quarter prop. The game five was also, it will probably also be remembered as the Andrew Wiggins game because Andrew Wiggins. Really? I think so. Hmm, okay. I, I oh, mean, there was a bunch of morons on Twitter last night talking about how Wiggins value to win MVP after right. that performance. And, I mean, I'll book those bets. Someone they, wants to bet Wiggins MVP, call me up. I'll book it. I thought coming into the series there might be value on Wiggins winning the MVP. I mean, he was like an outrageous number. But he his game two was so poor. Like, there's just no way. And Steph's been so great. So we're not going to let one great Wiggins game, really two in a you row. You don't even have to be great. You can be bad and you're going to win MVP. Jason there, Tatum. Yes, exactly. But Andrew Wiggins had his way with the Celtics last night and really kind of, I think he, he is the X factor in this series. I know, I know you think the Celtics have one and I, I don't disagree with yours, but I think what Andrew Wiggins is bringing is a defensive presence on the wing that they didn't have without him. You know, Iguodala is not that guy anymore. Clay is, I, I, I think the, the thought that Clay is now just like a totally washed defender has been maybe dispelled the last couple games, but he's certainly not an elite all NBA defender anymore. But Wiggins is, is can be an elite defender, can be an elite scorer any given night. It's just another weapon in the tool belt for this Warriors team that already has an overflow of those things. Uh, Wiggins went from 150 to one to 18 to 1 after game 5. Like I said, I'll book anybody's bet that wants to bet on Andrew Wiggins <laughs> to win the finals MVP. I'll, I'll take it a step further and I'll give you 20% above the the marketplace. Yeah. <laughs> very, very generous of you. Very generous of you. And McKenzie actually has some some numbers on Andrew Wiggins last night and a, a lot of people like I said are going to say that Steph had a bad game. I don't think Steph had a bad game. I think Steph had a bad shooting day. But Steph's impact was certainly felt. Uh, I mean, he was doubled constantly, and that's what Steph does. The threat of Steph Curry, and I've been saying, Ime Udoka, why aren't you saying somebody else has to beat me? And last night he said, okay, somebody besides Steph has to beat us, and and Andrew Wiggins did. What are those numbers you have for, for Wiggins when he's on the court with Steph and when he's off? So last night he was one for four with Steph off the court, 10 for 19 with him on the court, this is exactly what you would expect if you're looking at his on, off, with, and without Steph throughout the playoffs. 56 effective field goal percentage when Steph is on the court these playoffs. 36. Terrible number. Would be worse than the league type number when Steph is not on the court with Andrew Wiggins in these playoffs. The threat of Steph Curry, the, like the thought that Steph Curry might catch the ball and have an open look, is so terrifying, not just to the Celtics, really to everybody. 
And this has been going on for years. How often have we watched a game and we see Curry with a wide open three and we start screaming, what are they doing? How could you anybody but him, right? And the Celtics said, okay, we're going we're gonna to take him away. And listen, you've got to have – somebody had to step up. The, the Warriors finally got someone other than Steph to step up, and it was Andrew Wiggins. Clay Thompson had a – I don't think Clay had a great game, but Clay hit some key shots at a time where the Warriors were kind of reeling in the third quarter where they let the, the Celtics back into the game. So w- when it was crunch time, Steph not shooting well at all, we need somebody, the Warriors found somebody. I think that going forward – you're not going to get a worse game than this from Steph. So what's that say about the Celtics' chances? And I'll I'll let you – both of you guys like the Celtics going forward. If that's the worst you're going to get out of Steph, what's the solution? The solution is don't place too much value in any one game. These teams have both played 100 games over the course of the season. They were equal teams going into game five. Let's try not to, like – dissect game five to give us the answer on what's going to happen game six and seven. Yeah, I think recency bias comes into play too much here when it comes to people betting these games. Uh, We're always thinking about what we saw last. Oh, Steph Curry went off for 43. The Warriors are unstoppable. Let's bet him in game five. Not worked out for you, but Curry was terrible, right? So if you went over on your Curry props because Curry's the runaway MVP, well, you didn't do well in game number five. Now, Warriors have won two straight. Series is over, right? Uh, no, <laughs> the the Celtics uh, go. I thought they were the better team going into this series. They had not lost back to back games in in since January, and I don't see them losing three in a row. I think we are getting to a game seven, and in game seven, we'll evaluate what the line is if it's going to be Warriors heavily favored at home. It's going to be Warriors. It's going to be Warriors four, four at home. Yeah. Then I'm still going to be on the Celtics. So, well, I mean. It- Defend it then. Like if you said you coming into this, you thought the Celtics were the better team. Mm-hmm. We've seen five games of it. And I would argue that I mean, hell, game one, I felt like the Warriors were the better team and lost. Game game three, Celtics were clearly better. It, like you can make the argument that the that you still think the Celtics are the better team. Defensively, as good as the Warriors are, and they are very good defensively, the Celtics are a step a little a step above. And the difference in some of these games has been Steph Curry hitting, you know, monster three-pointers. Also, the turnovers. If they don't turn the basketball over, the Celtics will win these games, and it's not going to be close. The reason why they've lost these games is because the turnovers have added up. They're 1-7 in when they turn the basketball over 16 or more times. They had 18 turnovers last game. The Warriors have scored 103 points in the first five games off of turnovers. That's a full game's worth of scoring. Just off of turnovers. Imagine if the Celtics turned the ball over half the time. Maybe not half. Maybe like a quarter less of the time. 25% less turnovers. Now take the aggregate score of this series, subtracting those Warriors points off the turnovers. point per possession that they didn't turn it over. And the Celtics would be that much better than the Golden State Warriors. And I thought in the Game 5, in the first half, the Celtics couldn't hit any shots. They really had a lot of open looks from threes, and they completely missed them. In the third quarter, they made them. They got the same looks in the third quarter, but they sank those shots. I think at home, a little more comfortable with the rims, a little more comfortable with the sight lines shooting. They'll have a better shooting performance. They'll win game six, and then it comes down to the defensive effort in game seven. But you, you also have to agree the Warriors are going to shoot better than they did. In the, they of course. Were not nine of 40. They were nine of 40, yeah. Of no, course no. they'll be better. 
Now, let's be a little careful. Their expectation is to do better. We don't know they're going to do better. Sure, Their sure, ex- sure. It's all about expectation. I do, I do think, like, the underlying themes have been strong in that all things being equal in the series, that I think a, you absolutely can take this away. Boston probably looked to bet them first half if you're going to bet them. All right? Golden State, try to get a piece of them somehow third mm. quarter. Um, totals. Try to play, if you like unders, try to play the second and fourth quarters under. Yeah. If you like overs, try to get the first quarter over. You mm-hmm. know, those, those, those are good general themes that haven't, didn't work in game five, but they've worked. Well, actually, they, the second and fourth quarters did work in game five. Basically, mm-hmm. everything went under except for the third quarter yeah. in game five. And I'm, I believed that these two teams were pretty much even coming in. I, I liked the Warriors in seven just because I figured game, the home game. Like, yeah, I, absolutely. I, if I think it's a, these teams are almost coin toss teams. Uh, and we talked one. about it with RJ, right? When does the experience come into play in the game seven at home? So. I'll tell you what. But Boston's it, been very good against experienced teams in game six. It, yeah, but and you know Boston has already won a game seven on the road. What I'm seeing in this series, and you guys tell me if you're seeing something different. McKenzie, you too. When things are going bad for the Warriors – it feels like they take a breath, they make an adjustment. It's not always, it doesn't always work. I mean, we saw game three, they tried to make an adjustment, it doesn't work. When things go bad for the Celtics, there's lots of finger pointing, there's lots of exasperated size. Like every foul they want, they, they're saying, oh, look at the monitor, every foul. They want to challenge every, mm-hmm. it just feels like a young team who's overwhelmed by the moment. Hmm. I, it, I don't know. Draymond Green looks like a complete and utter knucklehead when things are going bad. Yeah, I, I think there's – I mean, Marcus Smart might be a little bit out of control. I mean, maybe that's with it. And Marcus Smart, boy, last night, I mean, he he makes some of the most boneheaded turnovers you'll ever mm-hmm. see, but then at one point makes the most magnificent Hall of Fame-level pass that you'll ever see. That's the good and bad of Marcus Smart in these games. You're talking about Draymond Green, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he likes to jump off the top rope is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. yeah. I, so I think the two things that, that make me now think the Warriors are slightly better, one is turnovers, and, and the other is, listen, the Warriors typically turn the ball over a lot. They're just turning. They're turning over way less than Boston. So that that's been a, a at least game five. That was a difference. It's been pretty close in the series, but they protected the ball. Boston hasn't. The other thing that's kind of I, I thought Boston had an edge, and I'm not so sure now. I thought Boston was the deeper team. Like I liked Boston's bench that's a good more. Point. I don't like Boston's bench more now. I, I it's that's flipped I felt, for me. I felt the same exact way before the series, yeah. and I talked about when I handicapped this series. I looked at the units for each team. I looked at the scoring unit, meaning Steph and Clay versus Draymond versus uh, um, Tatum, Tatum and, Brown. and Brown. And I liked Tatum and Brown better because I didn't think we we're going to get anything from Clay Thompson. Uh, I looked at the defense and rebounding aspect, and I picked. Robert Williams and Al Horford and Marcus Smart over Draymond Green, Kavon Looney, and Andrew Wiggins. Now, Wiggins has actually picked up the slack for Clay in the scoring aspect, so you kind of have to differentiate that. But then I looked at the depth, and I said, all right, Otto Porter is a question mark, but if he plays, he's certainly a difference maker. But I wasn't as big of a fan of Jordan Poole and Gary Payton as I was of Grant Williams and Derek White. But in this series... The Warriors bench unit has outplayed the Celtics bench unit, and it's not even close. Gary Payton is a real problem. And, like, I, you know, RJ kind of, and it, I mean, in a way, he's right when I said it's a big deal they lost Gary Payton to the, the, when he broke his elbow in the Memphis series. 
And he was like, well, what's he, what's he like, their eighth best player? Probably so. But when it comes down to, like, locking somebody up, that's a valuable eighth best player. Mm-hmm. Like, if you could say, hey, you've got one job and one job only, yeah. that's a really nice weapon to have. So the fact that he's been able to come back and game five, like, forget what he gave you on offense, 15 points. You're, you're never expecting that out of Gary Payton. If Gary Payton gives you 15 points, you're in trouble because it, you know he's going to give you A-level defense. Mm-hmm. He's scoring on top of that. And then the opposite was true for for Derek White, who's been a great defender and actually put up some decent offense in this series or early in the series. He he was awful on offense last night. He was awful on defense. I think that the Warriors have eight or nine guys that they trust right now. I think the Celtics are down to about six or seven, if that. Uh, we saw Peyton Pritchard got on the floor for five minutes last night, took three bad three-pointers. Udoka benched him. He never saw he never these, saw the light of day again. But all these guys, had they suddenly metamorphosed from the— is that a word? From the heroes that they were during the Eastern Conference run when they were mm. beating— Yeah. They were beating absolute top-notch teams. They are every bit rated, you know, in the same categories, Golden State, certainly Milwaukee. And all these guys, you know, came up big so far. You know what? It's only five games I go back to. Go flip a coin five times. You know how you know, oftentimes it comes 4-1, and the series is over, and you're like, then, oh, heads is way better than tails. But if you're saying that, then what are we doing here? Like, if we say the results don't matter ever, what, what well, what's the that, point of that, this? That's a great question. So what we need to do is we need to distinguish when we're, like, drawing conclusions. Of, like, the eye test says, ah, oh, the bench— Bench is doing no good for Boston, you know, in the in the finals. But they were doing just fine yeah. in okay. the other series. Does anybody here think that, like, I test alone, the Celtics have been the better team in this series? Like, I'm not saying, do you think they're the better no. team today? No. But through five games, and I know it's three two, but yeah. uh, but taking the five games as separate, thing, like, you have to feel like the Warriors are the better team right now, at of, least through this five, these five games. Of course, but if you watch Baltimore beat the Yankees three out of five, you'd say Baltimore's the right. better team. Yeah, were the were the Pirates the better team than the Dodgers when they that, swept them a couple great, weeks ago? It's a great example. <laughs> no. It's still a small <laughs> sample. Here's the other thing that I think has happened. I think that, and Steve Kerr will probably never get enough credit mm. because— he got blessed with a lineup that like when he started as a head coach that was ready to win when he got there. Thanks, Mark Jackson. Yeah. Well, and really thanks to the the Warriors draft. Yeah. Yeah. The the way they built this team, (laughs) but Steve Kerr has, I think he's been brilliant in this series and here's why they, the Celtics, you mentioned how great they are defensively. And I agree with that. What they've really done in this series is said, the Warriors basketball, the beautiful cuts, the ball movement, we're taking that shit away. You're not having that. Mm-hmm. Find a different way. And Steve Kerr's found a different way. And that's a good point. Uh, like that to me, that's amazing because what you're seeing here in these five games is not Warriors basketball. It's not what they used to beat up on the Mavericks. Like it's a it's a it's a different brand. Like it's just not it's not what we've seen the Warriors do ever. You know, and I'm not even counting the two the, 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 or the three KD years because that was a, that was very different too. But w- the Warriors from when Kerr got there, minus those KD years, it's all based on moving the ball around, cutting, finding the right pass at the right time. And the Celtics said, nope, you're not having that. You've got to find a different way. And the fact that Kerr has made an adjustment, 
is a credit to him, I think. And and again, I don't think he'll get enough credit because he's coaching these Warriors. Just like I don't think Phil Jackson got enough credit, even though he's. I mean, it, it's nice to show up with Michael Jordan and and Shaq, but at some point, these guys know what they're doing. Steve Kerr certainly knows what he's doing. Absolutely. And, you know, you're doing an X's and O's and adjustments and the like, and this is fantastic because I got to tell you one thing that I, I look at, you say, well, what are we doing here? What are, What's our conclusions? You know, I look a lot at the market. I probably too much. I probably look too much at how the market is valuing teams. And I can tell you this, the market saying these two teams are equal. It's been saying that the whole way. Yeah. That wasn't the case when, when Boston was playing these other really good teams, the market was like, oh, Boston's not just better than Milwaukee. They're way better than Milwaukee. The Heat, oh, my goodness. Yeah, like they're was... laying three on the mm. road yeah. at a good Heat team. I mean, the market is, is saying, look, dummies, this is a championship team. Yeah. We're telling you mm-hmm. by the by the lines in each and every game. They could have lost to Milwaukee, and they could have lost to Miami, but the best betters in the world were saying, this is a damn good team, way, way better than any other team in the East. And – to now to, to throw them under the bus and say, you know, that they're not in the same category as Golden State, that's just too much of an adjustment. But what you also make. need to remember is Golden State, before the playoffs started, that that wasn't this team. Like the odds that you could get on the Warriors coming into the playoffs, that wasn't this Warriors team. It, it, it's, it's a great point. And to be fair, the experts were also telling you, hey, Golden State dummies, Golden State's going to win the championship. This team is way when – we, when we saw that with the point spreads like against Memphis, we're like, wow. Yeah. Look at these adjustments that have been made that um, – there was a game Golden State was laying 10, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, just mm-hmm. with, with no John Morant. Yeah. I mean, but John Morant's worth two points. Yeah, right. Mackenzie, I'm curious. Minus two. I'm curious your takeaways th- through five games. Have you made an adjustment on either team? I think a slight upgrade for the Celtics. Honestly, I mean, mm. it was three and a half uh, game three, and now it's four. That seems about right to me. I mean, this is the way that I see the series. Steph Curry's been, I mean, outside of Game Five, phenomenal, best series ever played by far. And the Warriors, outside of him, have been disappointing. I l- ran the numbers. Steph Curry's teammates have never scored this few points. And never shot this worse. Outside of Steph, the Warriors have never done that uh, in this era. So I think the Celtics, you know, random variants, but I think they keep the same game plan, and I think they're a little bit better than I thought entering the series. Now that's a unique take. That is a unique take. Do you you feel the Celtics are going to win the series still? No. uh, You asked me my lean or like. I'm like, the before game one, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm like, the line is pretty much right. Lean Celtics at plus 130. I don't see a bet for it uh, right now. if I said who's going to win the series right now, you think the Celtics? No, I think the no, Warriors. No, it's Fezzik. Oh, sorry. All right, let me caveat this. I got the Celtics 10 to 1. Uh, yeah. And I know I'm supposed to say I'm sticking to what I originally mm-hmm, did. Mm-hmm. If I like the Celtics at 10 to 1, I'm not scared that they're only 3 to 1. I know that that's the correct answer. But all things being equal, I, I think there are two equal teams and they're being priced as such. Scott? I'm, I'm not backing off the Celtics. Okay. I've been on the Celtics the whole time. I'm not backing off of them, and and the prices prices where it should be. I'm not. I'm not but I, I'm going to go with taking the price on the underdog. Okay. So just out of curiosity, you mentioned how you you broke it down before mm-hmm. the scoring of the Warriors yeah. versus the scoring of the Celtics. Have you changed your mind on that? Uh, no, because Clay hasn't done any not much to change my opinion. Wiggins scoring though. Kind of, if he takes over for Clay and you put him as the second scorer, I still don't have them above what Tatum and Brown do and can do. Here's what 
I, I said yesterday on Straight Out of Vegas, and I and I believe this. After two games, the stock on Clay was at an extreme low. Mm -hmm. Jordan Poole, extreme low. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Wiggins was at a low. After the two games in Boston, I felt so much better about all of those guys going forward. Sure. Sure. Because it, like, if you had told me you were going to get the clay that you got in games one and two for the whole series, mm -hmm. you're right. Like, it, it, Boston's way better yeah. in the score, but clay the last three games, pretty good. Yeah, he's been all right. Like, like, Wiggins now better than pretty good. Certainly better than the third score uh, on on Boston. I think well, McKenzie just laid it out when he said that this is the first time like Curry's teammates have not done really anything, right? Yeah. And, and I said, the first two wins for the Warriors felt like Steph Curry wins. This was the first game that felt like a Warriors win, right? Because yeah. the, the teammates yeah. picked him up. And I think the Celtics have done a good job, and maybe this is what they planned on anyway. Let Steph Curry get his, make sure no one else does anything, right? So Steph Curry can get 43, and if no one else does anything, the Celtics have a good chance to win the game. What happened was yesterday, Steph had an off-shooting night, and the rest of the team picked up the slack. So I fear, from a Warriors perspective, if Steph goes back to, let's say Steph gets 40 in this next game, does that mean that his teammates are not doing anything? That's, I guess that's the big question. And you mentioned a Warriors win versus a Steph win. I really think what the Celtics need in this series, if they're going to get back in it, is a Jason Tatum win. They need him to go out and have yeah. a 35-point a, a yeah. game or something. I'm and worried Tatum's hurt. I really am. You know what? We talked about this on Straight Out of Vegas today. So I, I've got a theory. Scott's got a theory. Fez has a theory <laughs> on Jason Tatum. Give it a listen. Before the break, we teased what I think is wrong with Jason Tatum. And if you go back, this is where I get into RJ mode. I'm going to give a little dissertation for a little while. Ooh. You go back... To the start of the 2019-20 season, Jason Tatum plays a career-high minutes in the regular season, then goes to the bubble, plays 40.6 minutes per game in the bubble, more than anybody in the bubble. He plays the most minutes in the playoffs. They lose the conference finals at the end of September 2020. He gets two months off. Season starts right back up. So get two two. I mean, listen. Everybody had a short off season, right? I wish I'd get two months off. It'd be mm. not, it feels like you've got that coming up. I think. Uh, <laughs> <True>. <laughs> so he goes into that 2021 season. Early January, he misses five games with COVID. He's got a bad case. He talks about he's having a hard time getting oxygen into his lungs. He starts using an inhaler. You know what the Celtics say? No, keep on running, big dog. Mm. Career high minutes. Let's go. They lose in the first round. That's probably great news for Jason Tatum. He's like, finally, I get a break. No, you don't get a break, actually, because right after you lose, guess what you got? Olympic training camp. Get started, pal. Olympic training camp, then the Olympics. Four exhibition games, six Olympic games. He's a key part of the Olympic team. He's So now he's got no offseason. He finally gets that back from Tokyo, gets six weeks. Six weeks they give him, then he starts back up. So what happens this year? New career high in minutes. We're going to keep on pushing him. He played, of all players with, who played at least 70 games, he had the second most minutes per game this year, 35.9, only behind DeMar DeRozan. Now we get to the playoffs, 943 minutes. More than anybody in these playoffs have played, 41 minutes per game. 
They had an intense series with the Nets. Only goes four games, but he was playing nearly every minute of them. They had must wins. Then they go seven with the Bucks, seven with the Heat. This guy's gassed. Since he came into the league, the list of players who have played more games than Jason Tatum doesn't exist. He's played the most regular season and playoffs. 438 games. Nikola Jokic has played 420, 18 less games. He's played just short of 15,000 minutes in those five seasons. That's about 800 minutes more than the second place guy, James Harden. The gap from one to two is is bigger than the gap from number two to number eight. He, this guy is playing more basketball right now in a three-season three, year, a three season span. I won't say three years because it hasn't been three real years. In three-season span than probably anyone's ever played basketball in that time. Mackenzie, you have an argument against that? No, never seen anything like it. The usage for this guy, and I know, listen, he's 24 years old, and I know every old person likes to say, oh, if I were 24, I'd play every day. Listen, this guy is out there banging around with the best athletes in the world. 438 times he's gone out there and laced them up in the last five seasons. That's not even counting Olympic time. That's not counting training camp or preseason games. Even if you're 24 years old, your body starts to develop wear and tear. You're not going, you, you need real rest. You need a real off season. And Jason Tatum hasn't had one since the end of the 2018-19 season. I appreciate your research. Um, you know, it's a, it's a well thought out, lucid, intelligent objection. Overruled. That's a my cousin Vinny quote. Um, <laughs> we used to argue, we say the same thing about LeBron James, right? LeBron James is going to the NBA Finals every year. Then he's on the Olympic team winning a gold medal in 2012. Yep. In between that run, he's playing more basketball than anybody on the planet. And still, no effect. Guy balled out, finals MVP 2013, all that fun stuff. Jason Tatum, I mean, yeah, in the fourth quarter, he looked something was off with him, right? He was, you know, airballing some shots and whatnot. But is it, I feel like that's the first time we're even questioning his fatigue or, or injury? I mean, at, at any earlier in this series, are we talking about him not looking right, Fez? You're both overruled. Okay. <laughs> it's an outstanding research, AJ. All right. And I'm impressed by it. And Scott, you bring up great points about LeBron and the like. But the bottom line is where where was all of this 15,000 minute fatigue when he was winning the series against Milwaukee and against Miami, especially as the series got deeper and deeper and dude was balling? I think it, I think we're making this way too complicated. I just don't think Tatum is healthy. I think he has an injury, and we're going to find out about it after the series is over. Well, th this is, I think, where it's becoming an issue because playing, you know, pl playing 44 minutes in, in the finals is not, like, unheard of. Mm -hmm. Here's what they're doing, though. So Tatum and Brown both played over 21 and a half minutes in the first half. They both get their breaks in the first quarter. So they played the entire second quarter, the entire third quarter, and the entire fourth quarter to the last minute when they put in scrubs. Yeah. To, like the way that the Warriors have worked with Steph Curry, mm -hmm. 12 minutes in the first quarter, start on the bench yes. in the second. 12 minutes in the third, start on the bench in the fourth. And do you think Steve Kerr saying, well, what if we're up? What if we're down in the fourth? No, it's 
it's like clockwork. Steph is sitting the start of the fourth. Sure, and sure. He's playing all twelve in the first and the third. This is desperation. They're saying we're running you ragged right now. Well, we it, also know the Celtics are not a deep team. They only play two, maybe three guys off the bench. And their three Pritchard guys comes in. Their three right. guys last night, all three were awful. Oh, awful, awful. So they can't rely on that depth. But I think you bring up an interesting point about Ime Odoka, and that's his rotations and his use of substitutions. And but I think the greater point is his use of Robert Williams, not Jason Tatum. Because I'll make the argument, Robert Williams is the most valuable player in these NBA Finals. You love Robert Williams. Love Robert Williams. That was the biggest change. Everyone wants to know, what was the change in the Celtics from January on? It was the way that Ime Odoka changed Robert Williams' position. From going from a primary rim defender to then being able to help out on the perimeter and you know just utilizing him more so than just staying as the rim protector. People talk about Marcus Smart, Defensive Player of the Year. Robert Williams is the better defender on the Celtics. And if Robert Williams doesn't get hurt, Marcus Smart doesn't win Defensive Mm. Player of the Year. Because Robert Williams gets hurt, Marcus Smart still picks up the slack. Excuse me, now everyone's like, oh, well, that's the Defensive Player of the Year because look at the best defensive team, and he's the player. But if Robert Williams is still playing, Marcus Smart doesn't win that award. Might go to my Jaron Jackson Jr., 66-1. to I might have cashed that. But You're not bitter. (laughs) I'm not bitter at all. But Robert Williams, in these, in this NBA Finals, I'll give you the numbers here, because they're staggering when it comes to how much they are outscoring the Warriors with him on the floor, outscoring the Warriors by 31 points in 126 minutes, and being outscored by 42 points in 114 minutes when he's off the floor. He was the only starter last night that was not a negative in plus-minus. He was plus 11 Whereas every other starter, Tatum minus 13, Horford minus 19, Jalen Brown minus 19. What Ime Odoka needs to do in game six, ideally play the guy 40 minutes, but I don't know if he can. But what he needs to do is when they go to their bench and go to one big on the floor, it can't be Al Horford. Hmm. It has to be Robert Williams on the floor with the smaller lineup. I also think that... Udoka is running his running his guys into the ground early is not the move. And we saw last night, we, we actually had concerns about Steph and the way Kerr was using Steph like he was still a, a youngster. <laughs> well, Steph may be above these rules. This the, When the fourth quarter hit, we, we talked about at the beginning of the show about Jordan Poole hitting that three at the end of the third, uh, and that was the start of a run. This was the first eight, and a half minutes. This is the play-by-play for the Celtics of the fourth quarter when it's winning time. We we got to have our best out there. Tatum misses a layup. White misses a three. White misses a three. Smart misses a layup. Tatum turns it over. Smart turns it over. Brown misses a three. Brown makes a layup finally. Mm-hmm. Well, I like it. It's all layups and threes. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's like yeah. an Except you're not making like it. The and Tatum, turning over a third of the time. Tatum makes a couple turn or makes a couple free throws. Then Brown turnover. Brown turnover. Brown miss layup. Tatum miss the jumper. turnovers are uh, unbelievable. This is sure. your stars. By the time they got to the fourth quarter, not having rested since the since the middle of the first, mm-hmm. they were gassed. They had nothing left, and the Warriors got good bench contributions last night. They're, they're nothing like otherworldly, but. They were good. Is they, it predictive? 
we going to see this in Game Six, or are we just going to go well, right back to well? Um, these let me t- let me let me tell you about the turnovers. Celtics had 18 turnovers last night. They're now one in seven when they turn the ball over 16 or more times in these playoffs. Last night, the Warriors scored 22 points off of those turnovers. The Warriors, this is according to the Elias Sports Bureau, the Warriors 103 points off of turnovers are the most by any team through the first five games of an NBA Finals. Since the 1992 Chicago Bulls. And here's what I know, Fez. When when it's a game, an elimination game, if you're the Celtics and your backs are against the wall, that's not the time when you expand your rotation. I know that. I, I know like you're not going to suddenly find some other guy on the bench to give minutes to. And last night, Grant Williams got 16 minutes. Derek White got 21. Peyton Pritchard got five. Nobody else got anything until the last minute of the game mm-hmm. when it was over. Grant Williams had about as bad of a 16 minutes on the floor as you could. He scores three points. He was minus 18 on plus minus. Derek White, one point in 21 minutes. And Andrew Wiggins humiliated him. Mm -hmm. He bodied him. This is supposed to Derek White, who's been a great defender in this series. Andrew Wiggins made him look like a clown. And Peyton Pritchard chucks up three threes, gets benched, doesn't see the floor again. So are you going to ask, I just mentioned Tatum, what, what, what his workload's been. Al Horford's 80 years old. Hmm. Robert Williams has one leg. Like, who, who are you going to put minutes on if it's not these five guys? You know, I'm processing this information, and you're saying, you know, the rotation is slim for Boston. And, Scott, you're talking about how it's becoming very well known. If the Celtics don't turn the ball over, they win. Mm-hmm. Would this not all lead us to a game six under? Because surely the Celtics, their number one focus is going to be don't so, turn the ball over, which means they'll be more careful on offense, which should slow the ball down. Now, here's my only issue with that. Celtics last night, 11 of 32 from three-point range. All right? That was not good. They had a great third quarter. Not terrible. Not but terrible. Not good. But I think the third quarter is what helped it out. When you go six of eight in the third quarter, it, it made skews two, the numbers. Two more of those. Yes. The Warriors... We're 9 of 40 from mm-hmm. three-point range. Steph Curry thing. ain't going to go 0 of 9 again. Should have made 14 or 15. Yeah, they, yes. They're not going to so shoot game, 22% from three again. No. Uh, so uh, this game did finish with 198 points. Probably should have finished with 220. You know, if you think about the Warriors making a couple of these threes and maybe the Celtics not turning the ball over so much. Six times three is 18 more points. Listen, McKenzie, (laughs) we looked at shot quality for Steph Curry. What did shot quality say Steph should have put up last night? Very close, Scott. There should have been 217 points. By shot quality last night. I and, said and 220. All what, right. about, what about Steph? Still would have gone over the 211. <laughs> Steph was expected to score 28 points in the game. And he scored 16. It, 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 I'm, I'm with you. I'm scared of the, the under. You know, Mackenzie right. has done some great research on that under, though. When you go to game six, the odds makers know games late deeper in the series. Games go under. They drop the total, usually two and a half points. They didn't do it here. That total's still 210. And yet, despite dropping that total in Game 6, 57% of all Game 6s have gone under. Well, the play for me is going to be the same as it was in every game of the series. It's the second half under. And anything, last night was 107.5. I know it burned me, but before that, the game before that, Game uh, 4, was 105. Like, you give me anything north of 105 to 110, I, it's a hammer spot for give the Give me under. the fourth quarter under. That yes. way I don't have to sweat overtime, and I also get some some time without Curry being the last, court. The last, fourth, last uh, three fourth quarters, 49, 47, 34. 
So there you go. Three different points of view on, on what's going on with Jason Tatum. But I still come back to if the Celtics are going to win this series, there's going to be a game where we all look at Jason Tatum and go, oh, that's why he was first team all NBA. Because yeah. through five games, you haven't seen that. You have like it's not even been close. Like if you, if I were an alien and came to Earth and said, okay, I'm going to watch this NBA, and I saw five games of that, and I said, that's one of the five best players in the NBA this year. I'd say, what? What? That guy? That what? bio would take that guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, he's, he's been. It's not like he's been a total zero, but he's not been. He's not been the alpha on a championship team. Hmm. I think he has to have an alpha game where he just goes out and, and shits on everybody and, and makes me look stupid for saying what I said today. Which is why he'll win the MVP, the Celtics win. Maybe he will. Uh, all right, let's talk about – I, I want to get into Andrew Wiggins a little bit because I want to talk about his fit. And Draymond has talked about this. I've believed this for a long time. I think very often we write players off and say, yeah, that guy's a bust, or that guy's he's he's not that good. He's a he's a stat piler. He'll never be a winner. Then you see these guys who go to the right franchise, a franchise that's got a winning culture, and they're a different guy. And I I don't think it's coincidence. Leonard Fournette. That's exactly Ooh, who I, Lenny. I, I, I like. That. A, a great example. Lenny. Yeah, a great example. Like you you put these guys. And you can say, oh, this guy's playing for this team. They're never going to do anything if he's their guy. I guarantee you there are people right now saying that about Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, all he'll ever be is a guy who puts up some big fantasy points. Let me tell you something. If Christian McCaffrey ends up on the San Francisco 49ers or the, the Tampa Bay Bucks or the New England Patriots, yeah. his career skyrocket. Well, how many times have we seen it with players going to the Patriots? Corey Dillon, uh, you know, uh, Randy Moss. Yeah. Like it, it's Randy a- Moss is a great example. Uh, Randy, uh, McKenzie, you have the numbers on Randy Moss. His last year in Oakland to his year in New England, what was the, what was the difference? Yeah, essentially tripled. 550 yards his last year in Oakland, 1,500 yards the next year in New England. And you can say, well, of course, Tom Brady. No, it's it's culture. It's easy to say. Well, you're, when you're playing with better players, you're you're better. Sure, but Randy Moss was. I mean, Randy Moss was already a Hall of Famer before he went to New England. Mm-hmm. He was just a guy who was who was tired. He was mailing it in because we're not winning anything, and it, and it gets boring. Losing sucks, man. If you put your if you put all your energy into something, it's you could say, oh, they're making millions. Yeah, but if that's your job, and every day you go to work and get your ass kicked. It gets old. It, hap- I, trust it me. happens to us. You know, it's one of the most difficult things in the world as a handicapper to be sitting at forty-eight percent against the spread halfway through a year. No doubt, it, it is difficult. So I, I really think Randy Moss just getting in an organization where it wasn't just, "Hey, go out there and you know try to score us a touchdown." It's try to go out there and win games. Maybe the, block a guy once. The natural. Uh, <laughs> listen, let's not get crazy. That's not Sorry, Randy yeah, Moss's right. job. But when you're out there and you've got a goal that's bigger than just going out there and putting up points, Andrew Wiggins in Minnesota, the the, I guess his task, his assignment was his role was go out there, score as much as you can, and we're going to hope that it's enough to win us games. His role in Golden State is like, hey. Be our, our third option on offense, sometimes our fourth. Play some solid defense. Rebound. Give us energy. Yeah. Yeah. He's had, he's had more 
rebounding games of 11 plus in this postseason than he had in his entire career. Mm. I mean, that, that, because in, in Minnesota, they're not saying, hey, crash the boards. Yeah, of course. Because that's what's going to help us win. Like now he's doing what it's going, what it takes to help you win. And he looks like a better player than he's ever looked. Mm-hmm. And we've got some other examples. You mentioned Randy Moss, Matt Stafford. How many people do you know who said Matt Stafford's a loser? Like Matt Stafford is a guy who puts up big numbers, yeah, five thousand yards. Who of cares? He does. He'll always, never win. They're always behind by twenty in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. you. Play, he plays for the Lions. He's like, always banged up. He's never healthy. Did the Lions ever put a roster around Matt Stafford that made you go, you know what? Th- this year they, they had one the one playoff year when Calvin Johnson when they set the record and I think they were like eleven and five. That was that was. But you know what? They yeah. were eleven and five despite having like a bottom ten uh, defense in the league. Like that's how that's how great Matt Stafford and Calvin Johnson were. They still never really had a run game. Mm-hmm. Like, but he goes to the Rams. They say we're here to win games. We're here to win championships. Suddenly he's a different guy. He now all of a sudden we're saying, like the question before was. Is Matt Stafford uh, like a, a, a franchise quarterback that you can build your franchise around? Now it's now is he a first, if, is he an what elite? Ballot, what ballot does he yeah. have in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, yeah. Drew Brees, Drew Brees in San Diego was on his way to having a career that was good. He goes to the he goes to the Saints, who's who have a different culture, and now Drew Brees is. I mean. He's top ten all time. He's put up numbers that you would have never imagined in a million years. Drew Brees could have put up. So how and do we get this culture, this winning culture? Do we just draft? Um, you hire captain, the right people, captains from the you, from their prior teams. Let, let me tell you what you don't do. <laughs> you don't trade a bunch of draft picks for a guy you know is going to be coming up on rape charges. Like you, like you don't do things like that. Th- those types of moves keep you in the loser's house. The Browns are never going to be good because they they take risks like they did with Deshaun Watson that are it's already blowing up in their face. This is like you you have to go versus, after versus taking a quarterback 15th in the draft that some people should felt should have gone third. That's the type of risk we want to take. That's what you like. Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah. Or to picking up a player that you think you can get more out of. Yes. I mean, this happens. Well, Andrew Wiggins is a great example yeah, of that. But I look at in baseball. I mean, I'm a Yankee fan. I mean, and and they get they get the most out of these players. I mean, just look at the look at the pitchers they have. You know, whether it's Clay Holmes or Jamison Tyone or Nestor Cortez. They, they uh, Jamison Tyone is a great example coming from the Pirates. Yeah, who Clay are, Holmes as well came yeah, from the Pirates. And those, he's, are, he's the best reliever in Major League Baseball right now. Those are the, the Pirates are and RJ would would back me on this. Uh, that is a losing organization. Beautiful with, ballpark. Sure. Yeah. That's the <laughs> only, one thing, right? But they've got nothing in their DNA that says we want to win championships. They, they just don't. They're trying to, like, and the hardest stay part, right in the profit. Mm-hmm. The, like, the hardest part. Garrett Cole, Tyler Glass now. These guys, they leave they, Pittsburgh. They leave yeah. It's one thing if you're Jacksonville. The hardest part about the Pirates is that anyone you know, who's, who, who's a longstanding, suffering Pirate fan is how good that team was for years and years and years. You know, you just mentioned, like, that's probably, if you're a Pirates fan, the three times you've been most hopeful in the last 10 was when you when Garrett Cole made his debut, mm-hmm. when Jamison Tyone made his debut, and when Tyler Glasnow made his debut. Yeah. They were all, meh, in Pittsburgh. Weren't they hosting the Cubs in a wild card? playoff game just like five years yeah. ago yeah yeah McCutcheon MVP that. like they, yeah. yeah 
Glasnow goes to the Rays, a winning franchise. Mm-hmm. He's a different guy. Mm. Garrett Cole goes to the Astros, a winning franchise. Cheating. Different guy. Yeah. <laughs> Tyone goes to the Yankees, a winning franchise. Yeah. Different guy. I, like, I, it, there is something to it. Kevin Garnett is a another, and I know you debate this a little bit, Fez, but it, he was a guy in Minnesota who was – they they were I mean they were good they were they were never going to be great with him there they're always the underdog in the playoffs though he was then piling they, up numbers then they, yeah but he was winning I remember after they won game one of a playoff series and they're like can you win this playoff series he's like yeah we can win it but well yeah you can win it by yourself you know what I've mm. got I've got a better example for the NBA than than uh, Kevin Garnett Chris Bosh hmm. Chris Bosh went from being the alpha dog yeah on a shitty team to being the C to be the third guy. Yeah. Yeah, on a team that was that was great, and for him to to accept that, like I think, and I really think in all these cases, it takes someone willing to accept. Hey, it might I might have to be uh, Drew Brees is a, uh, an exception certainly. I might have to play a lesser role. The spotlight might not be on me as much, but it's we're going to win more games. And it, dude, guys like that are are really really valuable. I think in Steph sports, Curry. Steph Curry's absolutely. Steph Curry's that. like how many guys are like are like you know have reshaped the entire game. Let's and and he's like that. Ah, you 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 can be our star. That's well, think yeah. about this: is there a player on the Warriors team that you think if they left Golden State and went out on their own or played their you know did their role on another team that you think they'd be better? Maybe Looney. I don't know. I like he doesn't get that. He much might put up more time. points. Yeah, but, but he's very guy. valuable. He's almost I, like Robert course, Williams. Like, well, well, I guess the question is, if Clay Thompson ever went on his own to become like the guy, would he be as good as he was? There's in his God, prime? no way. No, exactly, would, right? would no way. All these open shots. What yeah. would Draymond be on Nothing. another team? Yeah. Unemployed. I mean, he'd be a he'd be a podcaster. Di- yeah, like <laughs> that, it's a team with a winning culture, and I I think that's an undervalued thing. In, in sports. And I, I think that Andrew Wiggins is the latest example of a guy who everyone looked at as the number one overall pick who was never going to live up to it. And you know what? Andrew Wiggins may never put up the kind of numbers that Anthony Davis or uh, Zion Williamson will, but he's going, he's going to be a winner. And he's going, and if as long as he stays in Golden State, he's going to be a winner. You know, it's an interesting team with the winning culture is the Oakland A's. That for years and years and years they were the same as Tampa Bay. They'd always overachieved their mm-hmm. expectations, but it finally caught up to them this year when that culture basically went to crap. When they were talking about you know moving, getting out of Oakland. Here's what happens though: at some point, franchises are faced with: do we want to keep being a winning franchise, and it's going to cost us some money, or do we just take the guaranteed paycheck? Right? Yes. Yeah. And Golden State is, I mean, maybe more than anyone I've ever seen. Well, you know what? I shouldn't say that. The Yankees during the the late '90s, early 2000s, they like the cap tax. What's that? They didn't care. God, that's that's, it's it's really it's that high. It's fantastic. That's how these Warriors are. The war these Warriors, and the difference is this is for the most part a homegrown roster, but. The only way to keep together a roster like this is to to pay for it. How many years have they been in the new stadium? This, this is the first, first year. This is the first yeah. year. Remember, yeah. they were talking about this could That's... be a disaster. They're not going to be able to fill those seats. No, 2020 was the first year. Oh, so right. COVID last year. Oh, yeah. okay. Yep. Okay. So 
I think they're gonna fill the seats just fine. Yeah. I, I think they're gonna be okay. I, 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 for something tells me people are gonna keep showing up for these Warriors games, and I think it's, I think it's an interesting discussion about Andrew Wiggins to be had. I believe the Warriors will be willing to pay Andrew Wiggins a fair price to stay. The question will be, does Andrew Wiggins believe that him being part of this culture is what's making him have so much success? Or will he take, you know, plus 110 somewhere else? Go to the LAV. <laughs> yeah. Like, so then, then what, like, so if Andrew Wiggins takes even money with the Warriors or takes plus 115 to go to Sacramento, I think he needs plus 145. He might they might need plus 200 for Sacramento, but I just don't want a team out there to go to a random team to be their lead dog again. I think we'll probably go back to well, Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, he had that good one run with the Warriors, and now they're asking him to do too much. But I think it's interesting to see what both those teams will do. The Warriors' uh, biggest salary by $4 million this year, uh, projected 14 Million, no, oh, I guess the Clippers have a big salary uh, number next year, too. So, but they are projected uh, the second highest next year. They've got a lot of long term money on the books. And that's the, uh, the counter side to that is the Clippers, a team who's certainly willing to throw money at things, but hasn't proven to win anything yet. Like, because there are teams that do that that say, you know what, we're just going to pay out the ass and we're going to buy a winner. It doesn't always work that way if you don't have the right people involved. And the Clippers, I think they got rid of their biggest cancer a couple of years ago. But it's still, it still, it takes a long time to build a winning culture. And it, it, money can't buy it. It helps. It helps to maintain it once it's there. But you can't just go out and buy it. It just doesn't work that way. So, I, and I, I think the Nets have kind of been an example of that too. Great example. You know, the Nets, it was, it was a losing franchise. And they said, you know what, we're going to buy ourselves into a winning franchise come close but you've got to build that culture uh all right let's get into let's get off i I, I want to talk while we've got scott here i want to talk about the stanley cup finals uh the finals are set they start wednesday uh what's the series price on the lightning and the avs well right now the avalanche are the favorite in this series minus 175 the lightning on the comeback plus 150 and yeah, Colorado was the best team at home, the best team in the NHL, but Tampa Bay is do, trying to do something that hasn't been done in a very, very long time, win three championships in a row. How similar is this to the the finals that we're seeing now in the NBA? A team that's been there and done it versus a team that had, had been coming up short in the playoffs time and again. Everybody mm-hmm. said, oh, they're really good, but they couldn't get it done in the playoffs. The Avs feel a lot like the Celtics. The Lightning feel a lot like the Warriors, this experienced team coming off back-to-back wins. Absolutely. And and that's why I lean Lightning. I'm actually not lean. I'm on the I'm on the Lightning in this series because I think the experience does come into play, uh, especially coaching wise. I mean, John Cooper's a Hall of Famer. Look at what he's done with this Rays, uh, this uh race, this Lightning organization. And goaltending. It's the biggest thing when it comes to the Stanley Cup final. And they got the best in the world right now in Andre Vasilevsky. And he's the great equalizer. And look at how great he's been in the Stanley Cup in the past two years. This Lightning team is too good to bet against. They're certainly too good to have the odds this far in favor of the Avalanche. And that, no disrespect, I, I get it. Colorado's great. 
They they have some of the top scorers in the league. They're just an incredible team. But I, you're, this is too good of a price to turn up on, on Tampa. And the basic strategy of hockey, they talk about it. It's one of those sports where you got to play best of 57 to, you know, to, to, yeah. to, to absolutely make, you know, to, to, to make sh- within a confidence interval that the better team mm-hmm. is going to win. I, I, I'm shocked at the numbers this it's, high. It comes down to, it, it all comes down to goaltending. And I don't care if Darcy Kemper or Frankie Francouz is, is in net for, for Colorado. It's Andre Vasilevsky's the best in the world. You saying that right there. The idea that the Avalanche still a day before game one. Don't know who's going to Don't be know goal. who's yeah. going to start in yes. goal. And the other team has the best goalie in the and world. And Bob Gibson's pitching for the other team. Yeah. yeah like it's, it, it, come on. Every game of the series, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Th- that makes me feel like this number is off. And it is... Now, I guess a lot of it is what, and again, I'm very, very casual when it comes to hockey. You know, I'm leaning on you here. What I've seen is, and what's, I mean, what's been obvious, the Eastern Conference defense and goaltending has mattered a lot more than the Western Conference. Mm -hmm. And the Avalanche have been so good offensively that they've been okay with injured goaltending or mediocre goaltending. Like, so, or have have the have the Lightning has Vasilevsky seen anything close to what he's going to see with Colorado? Yes, in Florida, and he absolutely shut them down, which was shocking because Florida was the highest scoring team in the NHL this season, and Andre Vasilevsky was absolutely incredible in that series. The Florida Panthers scored three hundred and forty goals this season. Colorado scored three hundred and twelve. The best, highest-scoring team in hockey against Vasilevsky scored three goals in four games. Well, you know, with the total sitting at six game one, and we talked about how some of these Colorado totals were getting out of hand, mm-hmm. you know, going all the way to seven. Yeah. Um, we got the best goaltender. And keep in mind, it, every game of the Rangers series with both Shesterkin and Vasilevsky, they were five and five, five and a half. Yes. And it was an under series. Yes. You know, and one thing about being under series, and again, you're the hockey expert, not me, but it sure seemed to me that a lot of those games had five goals, mm-hmm. but there was like a couple, I hate to call them cheap, but there was a couple very early goals that were penalty driven power plays. Yeah. That, that, that's the only reason you didn't mm-hmm. have a whole bunch of 0 0 first periods. Yeah. The, the, that was a very tightly contested series. I also think that game one is a great opportunity for the Lightning with the layoff that Colorado has had. You know, Colorado's been off for a few days. Tampa Bay gets to roll in here. For like a, we, almost two, yeah. two weeks. Do we parlay the under six with Tampa Bay instead of just betting Tampa Bay? The yes. idea being if there's eight goals, yes. we don't want Tampa. Yes. Yes. I think there's it's a correlated bet Tampa to win with unders. Mm-hmm. Now, keep in mind, both of these teams, two of the best teams over the past four years, the Lightning have 192 wins over the last four seasons. That's the most in the NHL. The Avalanche, 175. That's the third best in the NHL over the last four seasons. They, the, the, the Avalanche have been really good for a long time and just yeah. stunk in the playoffs. Out of the second round every time. I yeah. have a stupid question. Does altitude matter in hockey like other sports? Nah, I don't think so. I, you know what? I, w- I was wondering because game one's in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And it made me not want to bet the Lightning. Not that I would. I'm betting hockey left and right anyway. But if I were looking to be careful with the Lightning, Game One 
in, in Colorado after they just played a long series and the avalanche arrested would be a time where I'd be like, oh, man, at altitude, it just seems like seems like a time where I'd be wary I, I don't of know. the lightning. Does it, I, don't, I don't know how much it factors in, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. One, one more question. I know that the facilities have gotten much better with, mm-hmm. the, with the ice and the like. They're not playing in a barn anymore, you mean? But, mm-hmm. but, but we are playing a hockey game in Florida in 90 degrees in the summertime. Is the ice quality still okay? They've done it for the past two seasons, haven't they? <laughs> well, one of yeah. the guess one was in the bubble, but uh, they did they did it a couple of years, you know. Mm-hmm. So free bubble. Let's let's talk. You you your best bet last week uh, was on. You actually split it uh, between the two goalies in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. What's the current number on Vasilevsky to win the Conn Smythe? Anywhere from four to one to plus four thirty. Okay, and is he the favorite? He's the third favorite. He's the he's the favorite on the Lightning. Who's the favorite for the Avalanche? Both Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon. Okay. So and then the only other guy, at least if we say results to date, mm-hmm. the only other guy in the conversation for the Lightning is Stamkos, right? No, L- Nikita Kucherov. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So there's two guys. Those are and those two guys. Where are they in the odds? Uh, Kucherov's right behind um, Vasilevsky, like plus four fifty, plus four seventy five. Okay. Yeah. You still like. This plus 400 is a, a proxy yes, because for... if Tampa wins this series, it's going to be because of Andre Vasilevsky. And he's already been phenomenal this postseason. And keep in mind, it's not just the finals MVP. It's the playoffs. The t- it's the player that is most valuable to their team during the Stanley Cup playoffs. And that player is their goaltender, Andre Vasilevsky. Kale McCarr is a, an interesting if the Avalanche win, it's probably him mm-hmm. because he's a def- he's a good defenseman who also scores. Is everything yeah. I'm reading like he's so great. he's just like he's this, great. He's like a unicorn who's j- he's just doing everything. Uh, is it pretty? It's pretty rare though for a defenseman to win the, that that award, isn't it? No, I mean Brian Leach. I mean, I, well, I'm a Ranger fan, so I remember Leach won it in '94. Um, I'm sure that Victor Hedman won it uh, two years ago for Tampa. Okay, all right, so, so it's yeah. not that unusual. Uh, okay, so if you if I said make one bet on this series, that's the Smythe is the bet. Vasilev, yeah, because I, if, like I said, it's a direct correlation. If Tampa Bay wins this series, it's going to be because of him. And so you got a lot better odds on that. Oh well, yeah, you do. plus one fifty or plus four thirty. I'll take plus four thirty. Yeah, I, I don't, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and I again, this is someone who I've watched zero hockey games this year, but what I do know and kind of what we were just talking about. There is something to playing for a winning organization that knows how to go out and win. And I, I said it about the Warriors and the Celtics in the last couple games where the you know the Celtics have been pointing fingers at each other and, and arguing and huffing and puffing in the times when the Warriors are taking a deep breath. I feel like that advantage for the Lightning has to be massive. And, because, and think about this from a Lightning perspective, okay? Uh, how does Colorado react to adversity. That's what I mean. Because they they have not faced it. This postseason, they have rolled through everyone. Yeah. They have not faced adversity. Meanwhile, Tampa had a back-and-forth series with the Maple Leafs, an incredible team, right? They get past Florida, great. But then they drop the first two games to the Rangers. They have to come back from two games down to win the next four straight against the Rangers. And, And that is fighting through adversity. That's a team that's Back-to-back Stanley Cup champs. Yeah. The the flip side of it is it has been a long time since we had a team three-peat in major sports, and you have to go back to 
2000 to 2002, the Lakers, when they did it. Before that, 98 to 2000, Yankees. Before that, 80 to 83, Islanders. Yeah, hasn't so, happened in hockey since uh, the Islanders in the 80s. Well, so, we missed the Bulls there. Oh, yeah, I did miss the Bulls. Oh, I was just giving the most recent in each sport. Okay. Uh, but, yes, the Bulls did it twice, obviously. Um, but, yeah, it, it's— It was a, a lot easier in the NBA when only five teams could win. Each yeah, team. every year you can just— yeah, like, like, I, <laughs> Did you say it like that used to be the case, or that's still the case today? No, it was always the case. Yeah, in like fact, that's, that's it, the NBA forever. If, if you're not a one, two, or three seed, you have no chance to win the NBA Finals. I mean, there's been a couple of random occasions, but— Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, in, in, in baseball, like it feels like— any any given decade, you can find a three-peat for the Yankees or the Cardinals or someone like that. But it's all the same. It's always the same teams. Um, so I, again, I, I just based on the idea that one team has so much more experience and is used to winning, that makes me like your bet quite a bit. Yeah. honestly. So I I, I endorse it. Um, let's look at some MLB real quick before you get out of here, Scott. And I know Fez who is, I think Fez has more under Reds wins tickets <laughs> than the Reds play games this year. Like, where are you standing on this now, Fez? Yeah, so I've got under 74 pre-flop, and they start betting them under on this podcast in another spot. Mm-hmm. So under 72, under 70, under 68, and I finally stopped around under 66 and a half. I'm getting worried about the 66 and a half. The Reds look to be a team... If they kept their roster intact, they're getting guys back. I think they're going to win in the high 60s. Scott, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I think 67, 68, 69 tops is what they're what they're going to win. And yep. so I'm really counting on is that the Reds become sellers here as the trade deadline approaches and get weaker, right? If they don't do that, then it's going to be a sweat. Be a sweat. The, the, the early numbers that you got, they're not going to eclipse that. Because right now, even though they started the season 3-22, and 22, they've gone 19-17 and 17 since. In order for them to get to their win total preseason, they'd have to finish six games above 500 from now to the end of the season. It ain't going to happen. I think they'll finish under 500 for the rest of the season. Now, it's not going to be a huge gap. So I do think that, let's say they get 45 to 48 wins for the rest of the season, they're going to be right around that 66, 67, 68 mark. And maybe um, I selectively bet on the Reds on some days as they have yes, improved. To, yes. Just to protect my bet. And the pitchers, the starting pitchers you would recommend playing are, are who for the Tyler Reds? Molly, for sure. And then uh, the, this rookie kid, Graham Ashcraft, has actually been pretty good for them. Hunter Green, uh, a guy who got absolutely rocked earlier this season, has pitched pretty well the last couple of uh dude is a strikeout couple machine. of starts it's, he, he like it's all strikeouts and walks you still don't trust their bullpen so you'd look to split your bet first five oftentimes yes and also keep in mind Reds at home they hit. are a scoring machine they, they are the hit. highest scoring team in baseball at home mm-hmm. but they're not that great in scoring on the right. road so um but yes, they are getting healthier. Jonathan India is back. You know, Mustakis is and back. A, and it's a rare team that when they take the field, that's you know well below five hundred. That's actually excited about how things are going. Yeah, right? yeah. So, like for instance, you know, tonight I, I'm on the Reds in the first five. Tyler Molly against Zach Davies against Arizona. And we are taping Tuesday night. Yeah. So I, I'm on that spot. But then looking forward to the Reds' schedule. Just looking here, let's see. They have. Um, 
their announced starting pitcher. So another game in Arizona, Zach Gowan against Luis Castillo. I wouldn't bet that because Gowan's great for Arizona. They have three games in Milwaukee where they won't have the pitching advantage really in any game. Uh, maybe the the rookie Jason Alexander against the rookie Graham Ashcraft could be a, a fun game. Then they play three games at the Dodgers. I ain't touching them in three games against the Dodgers. Then they go to San Francisco for three games. I ain't touching them in three games in San Francisco. So, selectively, yes, <laughs> but few and far between. Yeah. So, we just passed about the <laughs> one-third mark of the of the MLB season. Let's put the Yankees in their own class. Clearly, they've got, they've got things figured out more than anybody mm-hmm. by a, a good stretch. Given injuries, everything else that's going on right now, Who's in a good position? Who's in a worse position than you thought they'd be? Uh, the Phillies are in a much better position than they were. Um, because for some, listen, they hated Joe Girardi, whatever it was. The, but, the they, they just hated. They, but are they in a better position because you got the Mets are so much better than expectations? But the Mets have been dropped. Mets they will get better when Degrom and Scherzer come back. But the Mets are kind of like staying afloot right now. They're, and the, they're, they're, they're still, still good. minus two thirty to the win Braves. And I don't like that number at all. Okay. The Braves have won twelve. The Raves have won twelve straight. It's Tuesday night they're going to win tonight again because they're up seven so you got nothing. Two, you got they're going to win thirteen straight facing. games, right? And the it, Phillies are are nine and one. If they win tonight, they'll be ten and one since they fired Joe Girardi. So you got one team that has won thirteen straight, another team that has won uh, a, you know ten of their last eleven, and the Mets who are sitting here at five and five in the last ten games. The but Braves just have, holding on before until Degrom comes back. Right? Yeah, and, but the, and, but and they Scherzer. but they had like a nine game lead in the division. It's down to five. So is it is it surprising to you that the Yankees are still the second favorite to win the World Series behind the Dodgers? No, just because it's the Dodgers. Okay, I mean, on the Yankees, paper, their roster is still... it's just the Dodgers. That's it. Yeah, Book, they're the, the defending Do- champs. Dodgers and... started so hot that the yeah. Bucks have that liability, and they're like, "Screw you! We'll just play yeah. a really low odd. You'll still bet it. Yeah. You're a sucker." But I'd ah, if you're asking me, well, who, if I had to pick one of those teams, I'd bet the Yankees. Yankees at five. Yes. I agree with that. Yankees pitching has been. I mean, yes, you have guys like uh, Tony Gonsolin has been incredible for for the Dodgers. I mean, you look at the Dodgers rotation. Bueller's hurt now. Bueller, <laughs> Bueller, Bueller goes on the DL with the uh, I stink disease. So you know, that's that's what happens. Uh, the the Padres, I mean, they've barely moved this season. I know they are getting a lot of like they're supposed to get Tatis back. They probably, He's not coming back soon. No, no time soon. No. Uh, I think they, they, you'd have to. I mean, I I don't know, man. Giants, these crazy giants. You, you, you can't write these giants off. I don't get it. Like I. I look. Stink. You look at their they roster. And how are they good? Yeah. But you know what? You know who else can't hit? And it's a surprise. The Astros can't hit. And they're doing just fine. The, the, yeah. Somehow the Astros are. I mean, part of it is their division sucks. Mm-hmm. So they got a seven and a half game lead. You want to know how bad that division? That the problem. Angels are like ten above five hundred. No, the Angels are four <laughs> below five hundred. The Mariners. What? The yeah. Mariners are going to. They're the real deal this year. No, the Mariners. Stink. I believe the. I have a comp for this. I believe Mackenzie. If you could check, it's eighty three of the eighty four Cubs. From memory, I believe they were 13 games above 500, and they lost like 17 in a row. That's the year with um, uh, Sutcliffe got hurt. Um, the, the year after Sutcliffe was 16 and one with them, and they um, almost made the World Series, and they just the wheels came off. You mean they Cubs cubbed team. it? Is what you're saying? That, uh, that Cubs team, boy. Yeah, yeah that, that sounds about right. Uh, do you believe in Minnesota? Uh, I do. 
I do. As long we as Byron Buxton stays we healthy. We like her over yeah. 83, yeah. right? I believe yeah. in Minnesota. I do. I think they keep this up. Chicago is not as good as uh, as people thought they were. Well, Injuries starting as well. Pitchers get, get Tony LaRusso think... is going to get fired. What a dope. So, what I mean, a, what, you know, no, LaRusso isn't a dope. It's, it's whoever hired him. I mean, well, I mean, like, like, think about it. If you're in, in business, let's say you're in charge of, say, uh, nuclear missiles, all right, to protect our country. Do you think you'd put, like, a 77-year-old old guy in charge of, <laughs> like, making sure that no one was able to infiltrate that missile launch? It doesn't seem wise. Are you saying something about our country right now? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Way to go. I didn't mean to if I did. Way to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I bet you. kind of did. <laughs> uh, all right. I gotta t- while we're talking MLB, we got a contest going right now. $500 for first place, pregame.com. Free MLB All-Star 500 contest. It's a winner-take-all contest, $500 cash. The contest is rolling, and it's going to run through the MLB All-Star game. 50 picks minimum, 100 picks maximum. The most net profit takes home $500 cash. So in the contest is free to enter. Just go to pregame.com, sign up, sign in, get in on the action. Don't miss your chance to win $500 cash. All right, let's get into some U.S. Open conversation. And all the talk is about the Live Tour. That's all anybody's talking about leading up to this thing. And it, it feels like there's... Factions, there. It's uh, it's almost like when, and you're you're too old for this, Mackenzie. You might, you know, you might be too young for this. It's when the NWO showed up, and it was Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, Diesel and Razor Ramon had left WWF or E. I don't remember what it was at the time. They went to WCW and they started beating up everybody, and then Hulk Hogan came out and joined them. And I think now. Like, it really took a big name leaving to make this thing totally viable. And not not like a big name like Phil Mickelson. Phil Mickelson's a big name. One of the, I mean, probably the second biggest name in golf, let's be honest. But he's past his prime. But when Dustin Johnson makes the turn, that's Hulk Hogan joining the NWO. Now you've got, like, a legit megastar who says, yep, this is the cool side now. This is the dark. Come on over to the dark side. I got to tell you, I want to watch this LAV way more than I want to watch the Canadian Open. I'm, like, I'm is it with on TV? you. Is it? I, I don't even know. Is it like streaming on Peacock? I, Where is it? Listen, I, I'm going to say this. I want to preface all conversation about this live tournament with this. I don't. I, I don't look at this as an affront to America. I don't look at this as like. Patriots versus traitors. I look at this as guys who are trying to secure their financial well-being. And I'll be, uh, you know what? I'm going to be perfectly honest. And uh, of course, uh, of course, I'm against the fact that what eight out of 11 hijackers were Saudis. That's, that's the number you'll keep seeing now on nine 11. That's terrible. And, you know, I, I hope those, those eight Saudis are, you know, I hope they really regret their decision now that they're dead. Uh, I don't know that if someone came to me tomorrow and said, hey, I'm going to give you $5 million a year to go do radio in Iraq, that I'm saying no. I don't know that I'm saying no to that. That means you're saying yes. I think I'm saying yes. That means you're saying yes. I, I mean, 
Are you doing any different? The only thing that would stop me is fear for the safety of myself and my family, okay? I'm not taking my family. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I'm going. It's, it's, exactly. It's a fear. It's a fe- it, 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 it isn't even a moral question. It's, it, it, it's a security safety okay. question. Okay, but here's the difference. These guys aren't playing tournaments in Iraq. or like they're, They played in London. They're playing in Portland this week. Like, this is—it's just where the money's coming from is what people has people up in arms, that Saudi money is paying for this. You know what? I, I want to research, and I'm sorry I'm not up to speed on this. Augusta National, Mackenzie, maybe you could look this up. When, when did they have their first um, African-American member? Well, that doesn't fit this narrative. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just uh... How dare you, Fez? <laughs> Sorry. Wow, 1990. Da- yeah, what? So, what? So, oh, perfectly fine to play at Augusta. All the all the pearl clutching? Nobody's doing that over Augusta? So you can't, like, so I can't golf there if I'm an African-American in 1988, and yet they're, they're like, the heroes of, like, because they've got $2 pimento sandwiches and the like, <laughs> and, doing, and there's only four minutes of commercials. You know, F you, Augusta. You're not the best golf course. 1990, you should be ashamed of yourself. McKenzie couldn't even got one of those pimento should, cheese sandwiches. I'm serious. That is just out. That is out. That, that, I can't be. I expected him to say 1967. No. And when did what? they when did they start allowing women? I'm not sure they have. Let's what? <laughs> you mean there's not a women's masters? Oh. <laughs> I'm rooting for DJ to kick some. Uh, it's time to kick ass, as they say. I'll be and, honest, man. Die hard, too. Listen, we, we talked about this on Straight Out of Vegas, and I stand by. I heard. Dan Patrick on Fox said no one had a better winner than Rory McIlroy. Not only did he win the RBC Canadian Open, took home a $1.5 million check, but he passed Greg Norman on the PGA Tours wins list. You know who had a better weekend than him? Andrew Wiggins. Well, A, yeah. (laughs) Charles Schwartzel, who has in the last four years – Made less money than he made this weekend. He missed about half of the cuts from the tournaments he played in over the last four years. Made $4 million in three days of golf. On SOV, we showed... We, we were able to illustrate the staggering purses in the LIV to compare it to an event. Everyone knows that, like, one of the greatest payouts in Las Vegas is the World Series of Poker yep. main event. So, picture this. Somehow, by some miracle, you and I, AJ... Make the final 48 in the main event World Series of Poker. First place going to be like $5 million plus. Yes. 48th place, 120000 Good deal. Great deal. Once in a lifetime opportunity. But we got to put in 10K. Yes. And you got to make the final 48 out of 6,600. Yeah. Or alternatively, if we're not <laughs> able to do that, we can just be a middling uh, professional golfer and we can play in the main event and make the final 48. Each and every week. Automatically? Autumn, every week. Do you have to pay to get into this? No, they comp you to, like, five-star oh. hotels. You don't have to, like, pay to park at Bally's and eat the crappy chicken fingers in the makeshift room over there. Although some of the food at Paris and Bally's, that's always been there. The restaurant's quite good. Uh, I mean, I think you're right. It's – listen, the the last-place guy from this opening event in London made 120 k if he were playing on the PGA Tour, he would have made zero dollars. He all his expenses would. I mean, he he had would have had to pay a coach, caddy, what all that stuff, and he loses money for going to play golf. Here, you show up 
and you make $120,000, you could have shown up and said, oh, I don't, but I only have four clubs in my bag. Well, Mr. Fezzik, you can play anyway. Guess what? We're going to give you $120,000. Like, but I got to get up early for my start time or maybe like stay, stay out late, right? No. No? No. And you, listen, we're not going to make you play 72 holes. Just play 54. And, and, and get it over with. And every day we just play 10 to 3, right? Yep. 10 to 3 and we're Sound done. Sound good? Sign me up, brother, man. Listen, I get, I, and I, there's a lot of pearl clutching going on right now about this live tour versus the PGA. These guys, they're not going to be the last as more and more, if you're Rory McElroy, the third best golfer in the world, and you make $1.5 million for beating the PGA field and winning the RBC Canadian Open, and then you look at Charles Schwartzel, who is, by all accounts, a journeyman. Charles Schwartzel won the Masters in 2011. There were black people allowed in the field then. Had he not won that Masters... No one listening to this podcast would know who Charles Schwartzel is. And if you think you would, you're lying. Like, he would be a, a nobody in history, and he just won $4 million this year. So if you're the third best golfer in the world, and you see Charles Schwartzel winning $4 million to beat 48 guys, how much longer are you going to say, yeah, this is viable? And... Maybe if you're Rory McIlroy, you're going to keep winning these tournaments you can. If you're the 25th best guy on the PGA Tour, how much longer can you say no to to the Live Tour? I make the argument you can't. I don't think Tony Finau has, like, won anything, right? Has, has he won, like, I think one Tony tournament? Finau gets – he's a, a, a consistent top 10 finish guy. Like, he, But I don't think he wins. I think he'd fit in great in the Hell international yeah. tour. So, and know? then guys like, like uh, Brooks Kepka. Who's like, um, oh, yeah, they haven't approached me. I, I haven't heard any. Don't lie. This, they didn't come and say, hey, uh, Bryson, why don't you come play for us? Here's your guarantee. We make a bunch of money. Bryson says yes. And they're like, well, he's like, oh, are you, gonna, are you guys going to invite that asshole Kepka? They let Patrick Reed in. Okay, he's a Masters champion. And they're like, no, we, we haven't talked to Kepka yet. We're, we're, we're thinking about maybe letting that rivalry die down. All right, let's make th- – th- th- this is great political discussions. I'm all, I'm all for these guys making money. I love 1980s Wall Street. Greed is good. Greed is right. Greed drives the economy, and I'm greedy. I want to make some money off of this, so here's what I propose. I don't like distracted teams. I don't like distracted football teams. I don't like distracted golfers, and this is obviously – a distraction. Now, for a guy like Rory McIlroy, it's a distraction, but it's also motivation. I was okay? going to say, he's been asked about it more than anybody. Yes, but he, it's a motivation for him to do really well. So I'm not so sure where I stand there, but I will say this. If I'm on playing on the Live Tour, now I'm playing the U.S. Open, and I'm talking about the DeChambos of the world, I'm talking about the Americans that are choosing to, you know, to go over this tour, that's got to be a huge negative. So Bryson DeChambeau, a guy that's in terrible form anyways, He's the guy I want to bet against in matchups because I don't think it'll probably will be reflected. This distraction aspect. Would you agree? I tend to agree with that. Uh, he's been, I mean, this is one of those guys who's been hurt all the time, not playing much. 
Um, yeah, because now you put him in training for the long driving championship yeah. in Mesquite, and now you put him in a field with uh, you know uh, elite golfers. Yeah, I, I, and he's got enough of a name brand that his number is going to be juiced anyway. So I'm with you. I'd have to look at his exact matchups, but but I agree. Uh, let's hear from our own Will Doctor, who does the Will Doctor and James Ledbetter, who do a fantastic job on the Dream Preview Golf Edition. He gave us a best bet for the U.S. Open. Here you go. What's up, everyone? Will Doctor here, host of the Golf Preview Podcast. My best bet for the U.S. Open at Brookline is going to be Davis Riley over Taylor Gooch at plus 100 over on Bet Online. And what I like about Davis Riley is over this eight tournament stretch where he's amassed six top 20 finishes. He has proven himself at some of the more challenging stops on the PGA tour 13th at Southern Hills for the PGA finishes fourth at colonial, one of the toughest courses on tour and 13th at Jack's place just a few weeks ago. He's another great young plotter on the PGA tour and is almost like an American Rob McIntyre in the sense that they both played incredibly consistent at the big stages in relation to the lack of experience they've had. Davis Riley, of course, only 25 years old playing in this fourth major championship this week, but he's definitely proven over his A tournament run that he's ready for the big moments. On the other side of this matchup is Taylor Gooch, who has not really hit the ball well off the tee this year, and that's going to be a big factor at Brookline. It's not like this golf course is playing as short as it was in 1913 for We Met or 99 for the Ryder Cup. Gil Haynes came in and lengthened this place, and Justin Thomas said it best uh, in yesterday's presser. Every hole besides 17 at Brookline will either be driver or three-wood off the tee, and if you miss fairways, uh, like Gooch has been prone to do this year, it's going to be a really tough week in Boston. Plus, I don't forecast anyone from the live circus to make a splash at the U.S. Open Boston this week. So, you know, have fun with those fans, Gooch. So my best bet for the 122nd edition of the U.S. Open will be Davis Riley over Taylor Gooch at plus 100 on Bet Online. I, listen, I don't know much about Davis Riley or Taylor Gooch. Gooch. <laughs> uh, but here's what I do know. Riley is 70 to 1 right now, consensus to win. Gooch, 90 to 1. And it's plus 100 on Riley. That, that feels like, I, I know you, that you can't feels eat in, value. It feels inconsistent unless Riley is extremely volatile. Yeah, you can't eat value, but that does feel like there is some value there. Okay, uh, we got that best bet. Let's close out with a couple best bets and we'll. We'll get even wilder than PGA or U.S. Open uh, best bets. I Here's what happened with me last week on my best bet. I had Yuri Prohashka inside the distance on this pod, and that was one of the best fights I've seen in my whole life at UFC 275. And Prohashka looked like he was on his way to losing a decision the last 30 seconds. Pulls off a submission, chokes out Glover Teixeira, new champion. My bet cashes. Here's the downside of that. When I gave out on my uh, my premium plays on pregame, I had to give out all from one book, and my the How book. Come? But just because it's it's easier to say all these odds are on the, at this site. 
okay, uh, when I give that. out my package. Yeah, don't do that anymore. Just they, give out the best number from each. To all the listeners, you've got to, your job is to have multiple three outs. Three to five outs. And that, yes. And you recognize when we're betting things like Canadian football and like MMA, you're going to get, there's drastically different numbers. Yeah. And, and maybe the, those numbers are only going to be available at some of those books. So that's your job. So what, what I did was uh, the odds available on the book that I went from were only, you had to choose between Prohashka by TKO or KO versus Prohashka by submission. And he was much more likely to get a KO than a submission, but the fight was crazy. So the submission wins. So my premium play lost on the podcast. We won. So that that was unfortunate. And you know, this was not a great MMA card for me uh, last week, but I'd won. I mean, listen, you win eight, nine events in a row. You know, eventually you're going to have a dud thrown in there. And when you did lose, you tweeted immediately. You said, not my best card, not my best card. Certainly. I'm going to go back to the well for the UFC this weekend. The UFC's in Austin, Texas this weekend, my old stomping grounds. And there is a fight that was supposed to happen on UFC 274 between Joe Lozon and Donald Cerrone. Now, this fight would have been really fun about 10 years ago. Both these guys, to put it politely, are washed. Um... I'm going to take the guy who's getting plus money in this battle of washed guys. Joe Lozon plus 145. Thank goodness you're not taking the cowboy. Not the cowboy. <laughs> Listen, the cowboy, 0-5-1 oh, oh, in his last six fights. The one is a no contest that was a draw that got overturned to a no contest because Nico Price got caught smoking weed. That's the only fight that Conor McGregor has won the past 15 years. It is. Right? It is. Something like that. And in that Nico Price fight, Donald Cerrone was getting his ass kicked, and Nico Price poked him in the eye and got deducted a point. So it ends up being a draw. Mm. Otherwise, Cowboys lost his last six fights in a row. The reason why this fight didn't happen at UFC 274, right before the fights, Donald Cerrone had, quote, fingers, food poisoning. This is also the first time that Cowboys cut down to 155 in his last four fights. He'd been fighting at 170. Donald Cerrone's 39 years old. I can tell you from experience, the older you get, the harder weight cutting becomes. I think his food poisoning was him having a really hard time making weight. I, I don't. I think he was having a really rough weight cut. I think he's going to have a really rough weight cut again. Well, I hope and, Todd Wishnev is listening to this because I have a <laughs> weight loss bet with Todd. Unless he goes through some ample food poisoning, I don't think he's going to go from 300 down no. to 180. I think Although you're right. Very, we all wish Todd well and healthiness, and he's at 270, and he is posting on Twitter now. He is... I've never seen this. This guy posts more videos of him beating up on 14 and 15 year olds in sports than Dikembe Matembo <laughs> makes commercials doing such things. Wuffle ball, basketball one on one against junior high school players. Listen, you know what? If he loses that bet, he's going to feel good because even, even though he lost the bet, he's going to be in a lot better position in life. He's making, you know what? I'm I am absolutely impressed. He's doing it the right way. That's right. Fifteen hundred calories and working out every day, as opposed to mine. You know, my my system for weight loss. This is highly technical and advanced. 
if I weigh more on any day than I weighed the day before, I don't get to eat that day. It's so simple. Uh, that is pretty it, good. There's no way it can fail. That, like naked and afraid, you don't eat anything but drink boiled water, and you run around, you lose weight. So, Cowboy, 4-9-1 and one since 2017. Joe Lozon, listen, like should I said. Should he be favored? Should Lozon? Probably so. I, I think it should at least be a pick em. So, plus 145 is, is the value I, to I me. I love this pick em. And so Lozon, who's all, like I said, this is not a guy who's in his prime anymore either. But he he just fought his last fight, got a first-round knockout. I mean, this is a guy who's still getting the job done, got more ways to win than Cowboy does at this point. So Joe Lozon plus 145 in the co-main Saturday event. Night? Saturday night in Austin. This is the main event? Co-main event. Is this is a weak card? It's, it's a free card. It's not on pay-per-view. So it's it's on ESPN Plus. Everybody can watch it for free or for your $10 a month, whatever it is. So there's actually some pretty good fights on the card, but it, 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 there's a lot of showcase fights. There are there's a lot of fighters who are minus 250, minus 450, who there's not much value betting on them. That's why I picked this fight out. It just feels like the real value awesome. to me. In fact, I probably won't be posting a UFC card this weekend because I, I don't know that there's enough value to post a full card's worth. Post one for free. I, that that may be what I do. So uh, this is, um, but this Jolo's on fight plus 145, like I said, for a fight that I think should be a pick em at worst. This is uh, that's the value. What do you got for your best bet this week? I'm going USFL caveat. Oh, by the way, Saskatchewan minus one and a half last week. Your best bet CFL three. to the window. Yeah, three Saskatchewan wins by 17. Okay, easy. it was it well it was a little closer than that, but yeah, e- <laughs> easy enough. Um, and of course, we crushed the closing number of minus three. That's what I do, even when in the sports I'm losing. But CFL has been real good. Three and O WNBA six and three hitting across the board. NBA playoffs 27-13. The reason I'm giving all these good numbers, USFL 7 and 16, but I really like this one. So Philly, New Jersey, we're in week 10 of the USFL. We've got two premium teams in the north. These two teams are heading to the playoffs and in fact they play in the playoffs very next week, their very next game. So I expect a extremely vanilla game between these two teams that are about to play each other in their very next game. I'm going to go under the 41 and a half. I expect very, very little innovation on offense. Okay, there you go. Two best bets. And let me let me help you out. Fez keeps winning. Whatever. I mean, he, this guy is up nearly 60 units through 2022. You can make money with him. Uh, McKenzie, we just talked, what were 50, what did you say, 54%? 64. 64% during the NBA playoff? Uh, yeah, 54. It's one number difference, big sure. deal. You can win with these guys. Uh, Andre Gomes plus 77 units in 2022. Like, pregame's got a ton of guys who are making you money, and now we're going to help you get it for less. Champ 20, C-H-A-M-P-2-0. Good for 20% off any package, one use per customer. Expires June 23rd. Just apply this coupon to your shopping cart. Confirm the discount before the checkout. Boom. There you have it. You can use it on any package or subscription from your favorite pros at pregame. Like I said, McKenzie, Andre, Fezzik, uh, Hitman. Uh, football's coming up. Like Fez and I have a package. His NFL, my college football. All of this stuff, you can get it. And you can get right now, rest of 2022, all access. All the sports, 
from your favorite pro nearly seven months for less money than the normal six-month access. So the rest of 22 available now for $8.95. You'll pay just $7.16 when you use that promo code CHAMP20. Every pick, every sport from your favorite pro through the end of the year. Get down on it. All right, that is going to do it for another episode of the Dream Preview. Fez will be gone next week. RJ will be back next week. So we're going to have to delay the draft one more week. I'm excited for this draft, though. While you're over there handicapping the Las Vegas Aces, I'm I'm all focused, locked in 100%. Aces are going to win it all. Oh, Aces no. Aces are just loaded. Just, Becky Hammond is like let me tell you something. tremendous as a coach. Such an upgrade over Lambeer. What if uh, the Mercury get Brittany Griner back? Does that change your outlook? No. Brittany Griner is on the wrong side of the, of, of her career. And, uh, and on the wrong, on the wrong side of prison? Is that what you're saying? She's getting on in age and feet. And I don't think she'll be in shape, obviously, having been in prison food for like the You don't past. think they hoop in the yard? No. <laughs> and Phoenix isn't, frankly, just isn't very good, you know, this year with, you know, without her. Phoenix is a, a borderline playoff team. That's I, I hate to brag. But I could have told you the Aces are going to win the whole thing, and I haven't looked at one second of WNBA this year. How do you know? I just know. You just know? I just know. They're the best team. Everybody says they're the best team by far. By by an absolute wide margin. One tip to give a reason to watch the WNBA. So I'm watching. I have a a big bet on Washington, okay? And Deladon is great. MVP candidate. And Washington looks good. They're up five. They're playing the Chicago Sky. Everything's going well. I got them on the money line. And I'm watching the second half, and I'm like, where's Deladon? That's odd that she wouldn't start the second half. Then, boom, <laughs> Elena Deladon is not playing in the second half, just out of nowhere. Like, if this, this would never happen in the NBA. No. And the line would move immediately. Like, all the live wagering, you can bet the Chicago Sky plus eight, plus ten as they got down double digits, and they came roaring back. Somehow they didn't win. So Washington st- stole the game without Deladon by two. But it just goes to show you why to watch this ESPN plus you know, stuff and why to watch, you know, uh, the WNBA, the live streams, because if you're wagering on these minor sports, the opportunities like that are just tremendous compared to everyone knows what's going on with an NBA game at all moments. All right, Fez, there's only one thing left to do, my friend. Hey, hey, let's be careful out there. See you next week.